From Capital Public Radio in Sacramento, this is Insight. I'm Beth Ruyak. People in Las Vegas have been marking the second anniversary of the mass shooting that left 58 people dead and 422 wounded. Top Democratic presidential candidates have been in Nevada reaching out to voters with messages about gun violence and gun laws. Bernie Sanders was there. He ended up hospitalized Tuesday for chest pains. Many of you know that he had stent surgery and he is recovering. Elizabeth Warren and Joe Biden held dueling rallies last night in Carson City and in Reno. And at 1230 today, Kamala Harris will hold a town hall meeting at UNR. So that's all happening in Nevada. I talked yesterday with CAP Radio's Capitol Bureau Chief Ben Adler about California and the shifts that are happening in the rankings in the presidential race. So in California, we are seeing some similar trends to what we've seen nationally in some polls, which is namely the surging of Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren and the dropping of California Senator Kamala Harris. And then former Vice President Joe Biden and Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders are are plateauing pretty much. Uh, But we have a brand new poll out from the Public Policy Institute of California, which is one of the longest running polls here in California. It shows Warren at 23 percent, Biden at 22 percent, Sanders at 21 percent, Harris at 8 percent. Now, let me compare that with the last PPIC survey in July. Warren was at 15 percent. Biden at 11 percent, Sanders at 12 percent, Kamala Harris was at 19 percent. So she dropped 11 points. Warren and Biden and Sanders each bumped up eight or nine points. There's one other poll that we can do a similar comparison for, and that one came out in recent days. It's the Cal Berkeley Institute of Governmental Studies poll. It had Warren with a clear lead, 29 percent to 20 for Biden, 19 for Sanders and eight for Harris. That last poll in June, the Berkeley poll in June, showed Warren at 18 percent. So that's an 11 percent jump. And then Biden and Sanders essentially flat. Harris dropped by about five points. A lot of numbers in that first answer, Beth. I'm sorry, but the trends are clear that that Sanders and Biden are fairly plateauing uh, and Warren is rising and Harris is falling. What did you think when you heard that Bernie Sanders ended up hospitalized and had heart stent surgery, which he's recovering by by all reports just fine from, but he's 78 years old, and that's the kind of factor that can really change a, a voter's opinion. I'm going to give a very narrow answer to this because I cover the state capitol, not the U.S. capitol, and I cover the governor's race, not the presidential race. I will tell you, however, that if we are speaking purely politically and not about hoping that he gets well soon, which I know everyone does, that when I spoke with voters at the California Democratic Party convention, and these are, of course, folks paying close attention to the race, there are lots of voters who supported Bernie Sanders in 2016 over Hillary Clinton, who are a little torn between, or were at the time that we spoke, a little torn between Sanders and Warren. And so if Sanders is is not going to be seen as a viable candidate four months from now when vote-by-mail ballots go out in California, which is the same day as the Iowa caucuses, and the primary is or five months from today, and the primary is March 3rd, then it stands to, to reason that Warren would be the beneficiary. And that's the question. Where would Bernie Sanders votes go in California? Where would they go across the country? But we're talking about California. 
And we'll be keeping a close eye on this as we head into the next California Democratic Party convention, the middle of next month, November 15th through the 17th, where we're expecting a lot of candidates, many of the big names, to once again come to California. Let me shift the emphasis, Ben, to this topic of state of resistance, which we have touched on in various ways throughout the week on Insight. The leadership of resistance in California right now is Governor Gavin Newsom. It's interesting to look at the kind of resistance Jerry Brown was positioning, especially on the issue of climate change. But in this Trump administration battle, talk about the state, because Besides Governor Newsom, you've got the attorney general's voice loud and clear in the fight, too. So Javier Becerra, the attorney general, continues to file lawsuit after lawsuit. And, and uh, we had a, um, a fact check from our own Chris Nichols, and you featured him on the show yesterday talking about how California is doing in, in those lawsuits. Uh, but when it comes to gubernatorial style... It epitomizes the differences between the two governors. So Jerry Brown really would tend to focus on a couple of big things. And for him, for example, climate change at the big picture, cap and trade, renewable energy and and, and other efforts. Uh, And, you know, then he would also have various projects he was working on. He pushed very hard for a gas tax increase to fund transportation projects, uh, you know, in in one of his final years in office. He would always have a couple of things on his plate. Mm -hmm. Gavin Newsom tries to, uh, by his own admission, I think, tends to focus on a lot of things all at once and to to elevate whatever is, in his words, front of mind at that particular Mm -hmm. moment. You can also use that comparison for how they criticize President Trump. Governor Brown would tend to focus his critiques on a couple of issues, usually climate change and immigration when he was in office. And then Increasingly, as he has been out of office on some foreign policy, he's serving in in the leadership of the organization that sets the doomsday clock, the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists. Gavin Newsom pokes the presidential bear every chance he gets. Right. Trying to be overall the most non-Trump state in the union. He uses those words. He also makes a point uh, with occasional exceptions, which we'll get to, at going out of his way to criticize President Trump. I I think that's the biggest difference. I think Newsom tends to go out of his way to criticize President Trump. And I think Brown does not go out of his way. When it felt natural to him, when it felt organic to him, he would then criticize President Trump. Let's talk about SB1, Senate Bill 1. Talk about what each governor might have done and why Governor Newsom did, in light of what you just said, what he just did. So this is particularly noteworthy for Newsom to veto this bill. And let's uh, refresh everyone's memory because uh, 99.9% of humanity don't know bills in California by their numbers. This is the bill that would have codified Obama-era environmental regulations into California law. So let's pause and think about that for a sec. If there was a regulation that was in place on the day President Trump was inaugurated in January of 2017, the state's regulatory agencies would have been required to put those regulations in place. There has been some significant opposition to this bill, particularly not just from Republicans, but Democrats in the Central Valley and U.S. Senator Dianne Feinstein. So she and a bunch of House Democrats from the Central Valley wrote letters to the governor and to the bill's author, Senate President Pro Tem Tony Atkins, uh, asking her to take a set of amendments dealing with the water issue, mm-hmm. kind of separating it out from some of the other environmental regulations right. that the bill would have codified into law. Atkins chose not to, and she knew that she had the votes in the legislature to send the legislation to the governor's desk without those amendments. However, Governor Newsom, 
vetoed it. Jerry Brown probably also would have vetoed that bill. But for Newsom to veto it, it was more noteworthy because, as I said, he has gone out of his way at times to poke the presidential bear. And here he is. He said it's a solution in search of a problem. He said we don't need this bill as law to keep doing what we're doing in the resistance, pointing to, for example, all of the lawsuits that the state is filing. Uh, and yet you could see perhaps an inconsistency in Newsom's rhetoric, or at least supporters of the bill would say there is an inconsistency in Newsom's rhetoric about Trump and about the environment. It's also fair to say that environmentalists on, on some issues were pretty disappointed in Governor Brown as well. When Governor Newsom came into office, there was a lot of talk about leading the charge. We are going to resist. We are opposed to his policies. We're going to oppose the administration. Now, is it a plan of action that has seeped into the being and the doing at the Capitol? Has it moved into the walls and the hallways in such a way that what happens at the state Capitol now is about a mindset of opposing the administration? I think maybe in some ways it can be, in some ways it isn't. It, it really can depend on, on subjects. I mean, right after the president was inaugurated and for that first year, it seemed like there were uh, resolutions, which are non-binding votes, saying basically the equivalent of California shaking its fist at Washington. Those happened all the time. Some of them still do. As far as legislation is concerned, I mean, we saw the sanctuary state law pass in Trump's first year as president. That continues to be enforced on the books. It's it's not been turn, uh, overturned by courts. On the other hand, of course, the bill, SB1, that would have codified these environmental standards into law, was also attempted in each of the past two years, and it did not get through the legislature. This year, it did get through the legislature and was vetoed. It really does oversimplify to say California versus Trump on every single issue. A really good example is how the Trump administration is is seeking to get rid of California's exemption under the Clean Air Act to set its own auto emission standards. Well, even Governor Newsom pointed out that there was a similar effort to restrict California's power under the George W. Bush administration. Republican Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger went to court against then-Republican President George W. Bush's administration, and that issue was decided not by the courts, but by an election, because before the court system resolved this matter, Barack Obama was elected president and the, the, the federal government dropped its challenge to California. Here, too, we may see, or we may not see, an election solve the problem before the courts. So sometimes it's an oversimplification to say it's just California versus Trump. You're listening to Ben Adler. He is Cap Radio's Capitol Bureau Chief. We are recording this conversation as Democratic candidates are convening in Nevada. Ben, did you see this um, University of California Berkeley Institute of Governmental Studies poll and the point about Republicans that um, to take right from the story in the L.A. Times, 2020 could be even worse for Donald Trump, putting him on track for the poorest showing by a Republican presidential candidate in the state since the Civil War. It speaks to two things. One is that President Trump has been deeply unpopular in California to begin with. Another, that Republicans, even before President Trump, so again, oversimplifying to just say this is all about Trump, Republicans were deeply unpopular in California before President Trump as well. The state continues to shift more to the left, even now potentially accelerated by President Trump, but not solely because of him. And so assuming that trend continues, that, I think, is what the poll is getting at. But one final point on this. This state is so big, 
that in 2016, four million Californians voted for President Trump. Mm. And so what does that mean? It means that of all of the states in the nation, California had more Trump voters in 2016 than any state besides Florida and Texas. And we may well see that again in 2020, no matter what the actual percentage of votes is that Trump gets here. This UC Berkeley poll says 29% of likely California voters who were asked for the poll say they plan to vote for Trump. So that's the percentage right now. I want to wrap this up with a, a court ruling about a bill that was signed into law in California but has since been challenged, the presidential tax bill, I'll call it, to make it easy to understand. How about an update on that? So the law that was signed by Gavin Newsom and has been uh, blocked from taking effect as it goes through the court system, it would require presidential and gubernatorial candidates who wish to be on California's primary ballot to make their tax returns public. There are nearly a half dozen lawsuits from state and national Republicans in state and federal courts. So far, a federal judge has found that this law is very likely to be struck down once it goes to full arguments and deliberations. And so this judge has issued a preliminary injunction blocking the law from taking effect. So as of now, California Secretary of State Alex Padilla has said he plans to appeal this ruling. As of now, this law is not taking effect in time for uh, the March primary, and we'll see how quickly things get sorted out through the court system. But I would I would say that uh, there have been a lot of folks who have cited constitutional questions about this law, as well as slippery slope questions. So for example, if California were to go down this road, well, maybe a Republican state might require a long-form birth certificate. Gavin Newsom signed this law in line with his poking the presidential bear, and yet he vetoed the environmental bill. And so there you see a divergence in a way. One more question, Ben, about bill signings and how Governor Newsom is handling them versus Governor Brown, how he did. And there was a notable one this week. <laughs> Very notable one. <laughs> uh, when you have an opportunity to get in the same room as a governor of California with LeBron James, right. I don't know if Jerry Brown would have done that, but Gavin Newsom sure did. There was a bill on Newsom's desk that he has signed that will allow college student athletes to begin earning money from their name, image, and likeness in, I believe it's January of 2023. That bill passed with surprisingly bipartisan support given some fierce opposition from the NCAA and some universities inside and outside of California, questioning whether schools in California would still be able to compete in college football, college basketball, other sports with universities in other states. Newsom signed this bill on an HBO show run by LeBron James. And so LeBron James was in that room on the set, as well as some other big names in athletics. Obviously, Newsom and James are also very different people, but Newsom has always been a little more comfortable in the spotlight in this type of arena, shall we say. Brown, who, you know, no stranger to being un in, un under the, the bright lights of the, of the big stage, I wonder what it would have been like if he had gone on a LeBron James HBO show. This this is such an interesting and precedent-setting law. What's the speculation about it being challenged in court? Well, the NCAA says it's you know looking at its options, uh, as I'm right. sure they will. Their lobbying started at threat, threat, threat to please just give us some time. We are already working on this and moving in, in this direction, mm -hmm. maybe not to the extent that, that you are all going to. So please just give us some time. That's where their message shifted to. They're still going to look at all of their options, but we're also seeing other states already. I believe Illinois has a lawmaker who has proposed a bill that would do 
something similar in that state as in California. And I'm sure there will be other states that are trying similar efforts. Ben, thank you. We covered a lot of territory. We spent some time throughout the week on State of Resistance, and I always appreciate talking to you for CapChat. It's great to be back. Yes, that was Cap Radio's Capitol Bureau Chief Ben Adler. I talked to him yesterday. Of course, you can find much more political news at capradio.org. Up next, I think you'll like this conversation. We're going to talk about some new tools that are helping with the salmon count in Placer County's Auburn Ravine. You're listening to Insight on your NPR station, Cap Radio.